The people that text me every time we drop an episode are all of the men that I've slept with. probably further refine your dancing skills. I think I have mastered the art of dancing. I need no further instructions. Welcome back to Black and White. You are listening to another episode and you may find new episodes every Tuesday. Honestly, at this point, the the time varies, but we are <laughs> yes, hoping we're hoping to get on a little bit more of a, a schedule. Like, so, don't please. plan your Tuesday morning commute around us. Exactly. Maybe not one yet. day we'll be on that yeah. level, but right. not right. yet. <laughs> not yet. I think that we're just being realistic about Look, we're getting these episodes the out. Right? That's all we can do at this point. So I'm so proud of us, too. We yes. talked about this so much before we actually did it. And I love that we we're did. just doing it. And we were just like, talking before this about how we are not aiming for perfection. And McKinley disagreed with me. <laughs> well, okay. We also approach things very differently. I, I aim for perfection in things that I probably shouldn't aim for perfection in. But then also it's like, I am going to be satisfied regardless, I think, you know, so. Well, the thing is, is that this is never going to be perfect. If we're aiming for perfection, we're never going to put anything out there, which is why we were My like, thought is like, it kind of it. already is. I think it's already perfect. You think it's perfect? Like, it's exactly what I want for where we're at. And, and that, mm. in my mind, like that is, that constitutes perfection. So I love yeah, that. I it's a really beautiful um, perspective on perfection. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, what the hell has been going on with you? What's what's up? How is well, work? How is all the things? Yeah, I've been in my new job now for a little bit, and it's going really well. I'm working um, in a drug and rehab um, center in Boulder, um, doing admissions. So I've like gotten to talk to a lot of drunk people, which has been fun. You know, just helping out the world. No, it really is a great job. I'm I'm really enjoying it. But I yeah. do get calls from drunk people sometimes. So you and all of my exes. I love right? that. Um, yeah, these are different kinds of drunk calls. <laughs> I was gonna say maybe not not to diminish <laughs> not to diminish like any sort of substance abuse or what have you, but yeah, I feel like you have kind of found somewhat of your calling, like being in the role that you're in and like in the position that you're in. And I feel like being on the outside looking in, it's really comforting to see mm. that you found yourself in this place of, oh my gosh, like I have always had a heart for mental health and for, mm -hmm. um, you know, hardships often yeah. um around addiction i think that, yeah that's it's super really, special it's really um, cool um it, yeah. it's actually really cool to hear you acknowledge that because i feel the same way because when i left college um and when we met i was doing ministry 
Like that's what I was doing full time. I worked doing like youth ministry. And then I worked at a crisis pregnancy center, a pro-life Christian crisis pregnancy center for two years. And I remember like, I really loved that job until my beliefs started shifting. And it was like, it's been very confusing. Like I had this heart for ministry and then I like (laughs) my whole like faith blew up and I still want to help people. And I feel like I've like landed in a spot where it's like that heart that I had for ministry is in like a safe place now. Do you think that, the heart that you have for ministry, like I think about ministry and obviously because of our history and our experience with the modern day, often white Christian evangelical church. Um, I think, you know, about our experiences in that. And then I'm like, okay, ministry, like that's just such a buzzword, right? Um, in this sense. And I feel like maybe ministry means something so much more than what we were told that it did or like what we um, were taught to kind of like carry out under the guise of, you know, working in ministry or what have you. And when I say that, I mean, like, I, I think that ministering to people is so much more than like this box that Christians will put, you know, Jesus in or like that Christians will put faith in or what have you. And um, I think that's been a huge, um, mm. like revelation <laughs> for me, no pun intended. <laughs> um, I think that's been a huge revelation for me because I'm just like, okay, like faith, like I will, I will always honor someone's faith, recognize it, uplift it, um, uphold their faith sure. Yeah. if it's not hurting them or anyone else. You know what I mean? Um, I don't really give a fuck like if you're a Satanist, if you are Buddhist, if you're agnostic, if you call yourself a Christian, like whatever. It's like, I don't know. I just feel like as humans, we are all one despite what circumstances or the world or socioeconomics have told us. And so I hear the word ministry and I think, oh, it's so much more than just, you know, what we've done in the past, you and I. Oh yeah, for sure. I think for me, I think of ministry as like in my job interview, I talked about how I wanted to care for people without an agenda and Mm. ministry always felt like it had an agenda. It was like helping people in the name of Jesus helping people uh, like, because you want to save souls. Right. And I want to help people just because they're people. And that's what we do as humans is help one another. Um, Well, yeah. Yeah. What we should do, what I want to do. Um, And so for me, yeah, ministry just always had an, an agenda of like, ultimately what I want is to convert you. Like I'm not just helping you. I care about, your soul and what you believe. And that was, that was really taxing for me. Right. Right. I think everybody that I know or, and, or, um, worked alongside, like within ministry, we've all had this, like, um, somewhat of like a, a joint reconciliation separately. 
hear me out when I say that. I know that's okay. Okay. It's counterintuitive, (laughs) but I, I feel like everybody that I've worked alongside in ministry, the narrative has changed. Right. And when I say that, I mean, it's like, um, changed from we're doing this like to honor God or what have you. And then the realization just like you mentioned is there is an agenda, there's an underlying agenda. And I think the people that I was closest with when I worked in ministry have also come to realize like, this is all, frankly, if I really want to get like granular about it, it's, it all is dwindled down to money. It's all dwindled down to how many asses are in, you know, seats on a Sunday morning and who's giving what and tithing and offering and all the bullshit. Like, I don't give a fuck how many, sorry, I'm feeling really crass today because I feel very passionate about this. Um, yeah, I don't understandably ha- so. Yeah. Like, I don't care how many gold plates are circulating your congregation. I don't care about any of it. I don't know if I mentioned this to you before unrelated. Well, that's a lie. It's related. It's all related. <laughs> it's all related, right? Um, my childhood church, the church that my um, parents were married in, what have you, head pastor, it turned into a mega church, you know, the same like quote business model that most mega churches have or Wait, use. Are, are we talking about the same church? No, no, no. no. Church? The one, my childhood one, the one okay. that I grew up in. Yeah. Okay. Um, It was a predominantly black church in the heart of Houston definitely not my church. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. All I have to say, I, I should have led with that. You're right. like, yes, I should have led. Should with have. That. I was waiting. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. There's no turning back. So this church that I grew up in, the one like in the heart of Houston, the pastor, the head pastor is actually like, I think incarcerated right now. Oh, because of some sort of like fraudulent activity around church funds mm. or bonds or something. I, I had the full story at one point, but I just kind of packed it away in the back of mm-hmm. my mind, at the, you know? Um, so, and it's just, the irony is not lost on me. Do I think that like he as a head pastor and like a leader of this church is like a bad person? No, but also who the hell am I to judge whether or not someone's a bad person, you know? Um, I just don't think that I have like that authority or ability. Like I'm not this celestial or like all seeing person, whatever. I just take things for face value. Like we all should, you know, like whatever to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that to say he's incarcerated and I feel like the issue with money and when it comes to like mega churches like it's so deeply ingrained um and i just saw that play out in this situation you know and it's like measuring you know someone's worth by whether or not they're tithing 10 percent. it's just it's exhausting and yeah i'm over it frankly, simply put. Okay. <laughs> I went off on a little bit of a tangent. Where, how, how, what, when, how do we get to that where, point? Why? Yeah. How, what, when. <laughs> yeah. And how like ministering, ministering. to people goes beyond mm-hmm. what we initially thought it may. 
So, yeah. Yeah. So I think in some ways you could call like what I'm doing ministry, but I don't because that word feels gross to me now. It's triggering. It's fucking triggering. Like it's just, that's like one thing that I have um, really had to grieve is like the language around Christianity. Like, mm. or maybe grieve isn't the right word. Like vomit it up out of my soul. <laughs> I'm like, get it out of me. I hate it. Like I hate that Christian language. Yeah. Once you're outside of that world and you hear it, it's just like, it's very, it, it's cringy. Right. Right. No, a hundred percent. I think even that is an understatement. Like it is, is there are certain things, certain phrases even that are very much like modern day white evangelical Christian vernacular that I will hear and just like all but go off the deep end. Like it'll keep Mm -hmm. me up at night. It like, I feel physically gross. Like it's just because I know like my own experience and like, you know, all that's happened there, but then also beyond that, it's just the harm that it's brought people and then, you know, so on and so forth. And it's just, it's not it. It's not it. Simply put, it's not it. That is not it. Yeah. But um, how's your job going? Just kidding. Stop. (laughs) Okay. That is it. No, it's an update. I was laid off because Mm -hmm. big tech right now um, is not doing well in like this macroeconomic climate, whatever. I don't know that it was ever doing well, but whatever. I, I haven't followed trends or anything. Um, so I was laid off and this is my second layoff within the year. And I have been in my industry for, and doing what I do for like around eight years. Um, I've gotten to the point where I am having to actively fight like the identity crisis that I could easily attach to my career. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you know, people hear that and they're like, oh, okay. Like you're having an identity crisis because you lost your job. Like some may just consider that bullshit, which to a certain extent I also do. (laughs) Um, but I've just realized that's what's happening. It's very real for you right now. No, I know. I know. And thank you for that. I just, the, what I mean is I, I don't want to be the person that finds their entire identity or their worth, if you will, if you want to take it a step further in their career. And I think Mm -hmm. it's easier said than done for me because of a lot of the things that were instilled in me as a child, you know, and we've talked about this before, like the checklist, right? The, you grow up, you know, you graduate from high school, you go to a good college, um, you graduate from college, you maybe start dating someone, you marry them, you buy a house, you get a dog, you have check, a kid, check, like check, 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 yes. check, 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 check. And it's like you, I mean, we talked about this last episode or a couple episodes ago. It's like, yeah, like a lot of people still abide by that checklist, which great if that's more power to them, but to put humans in a box that way, but then also not allow for the variety for in our example of like getting divorced, mm. you know, it's like, you're just setting someone up or yourself up for failure. I think if you're abiding or looking to abide by this checklist and it's exhausting, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's, it's an active practice for me to have to 
remember that my identity does not lie or my self-worth, my identity, all of it doesn't lie in my career. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to, you know, blur the lines there because I've worked my ass off, (laughs) you know, to get to where I'm at. And, you know, it's, it's, it's rough and, but I'm doing okay. So that's all I can ask for. I'm taking things day at a time, which, you know, Mm -hmm. the best, most, um, you know, important or most pivotal points in my life have been where I've had no choice but to take things a day at a time Mm. or a moment at a time. So I think I've been forced into that, but I I recognize the beauty in it too. Yeah. So So I was laid off a few months ago or like two Mm -hmm. months ago from the job that I moved to Colorado for. They like Mm -hmm. cut some positions in the company and, um, it was really, really hard. I had never been laid off before. Like, mm-hmm. you're such a trooper for going through that. Like, because how many times Thanks. have you been laid off? Like, I feel like tech is crazy. Twice in the past year and then once the previous year. That's so – it's just – it's like um, a form of rejection that I have never experienced. Yes. That's a super interesting take. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am diagnosed ADHD, which again, we can, we can talk about later on, but I was diagnosed, you know, in adulthood and something that is really heavily associated with ADHD is, um, rejection, sensitivity, dysmorphia. Mm. So when I faced rejection historically, I just go into, I want to say fight or flight, but I feel like that's diminishing it. Like I just, there have been times where I've just like flown off the deep end, you know, but it is, I would argue the same. Like it is a very interesting way of rejection. And I think being laid off, you try to cling to the understanding that it's not you. It's, you know, the company's financials, it's the economy, the market as, you know, a whole, whatever. It's so hard personally. Oh yeah. Right. It does feel very personal and it does feel like rejection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I totally agree. I like bounced back and I'm so happy at the company that I landed at. And I feel yeah. like really proud of myself and a sense of like accomplishment and confidence that like I can, I can handle my shit. Yeah. Um, and you will totally get there too. Like, I'm so excited to see what you do next. I'm not worried about you a tiny bit. Thank you. That makes one of us. <laughs> But, but the whole thinking about changing careers altogether, like, so that takes me back to like, when I left ministry, that felt like a career change Mm, for me, mm -hmm. like, like a forced one. Like I was enjoying doing ministry and then my beliefs no longer aligned with what I was doing. And I was like, what, what do I do if I don't do ministry? Like I can relate to that. And I feel like it's one of those things that you just have to take it one day at a time. 100%. 100%. We are continually evolving and getting to know ourselves every day. And I feel like you keep taking steps forward and like you never know what's going to happen or what doors are going to be available. Exactly. Exactly. Especially with all the connections you have. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do consider myself like in a very like good place in that I – um, I do have a pretty big network. I am back in the city that I love and know a lot of people in. Um, you know, I think that I'm in a, a very, very good place, especially considering 
where I've been. Um, excuse me. Oh my God. Sorry. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think that, you know, my optimism is, is at a much higher level than it was before. So, and I think like when I think about, you know, the career that I want to pursue moving forward, even if I do make a shift, even if I do make a change, I am just determined to excel at anything that I do. I'm also an Aries and I'm also... Oh, are you? Have you mentioned that? Never. You've mentioned that every episode. Never. <laughs> Sorry. I'm in Aries, Sun, Moon, and Rising. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's fascinating, okay? It's, it is it's fascinating. fascinating. The way that I operate and how much it aligns with like what was here even before I would, like was being thought of is so fascinating to me. So, yeah. Um, but no, I think that, you know, think good things are to come. And I'm, I'm finally convinced and realizing the truth behind these are not even the best years of my life. And this is not even like, these aren't even the best years of my career. You know, like I just, mm. I know good things are to come. And so I'm clinging to that. Good. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Also, I like that we were like, let's talk about something lighthearted. And then we were like, ministry. Purpose. Losing jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Identity. <laughs> this is so Okay. Heavy. Well, I'll tell you something fucking lighthearted that I'm a little, and I'm annoyed at it, but it's lighthearted, whatever. Um, okay. I was ghosted yet again. Okay. Let me just like tell you, rewind for a hot minute. Okay. Here's the thing about, you know, chatting with you and everybody that's listening, you're going to hear about my dating life and the woes of it. Okay. The people that text me every time we drop an episode are all of the men that I've slept with. <laughs> There's a handful of them and they listen to it. And I know it's because they think I'm going to talk about them. <laughs> it's so funny. The male ego. I mean, <laughs> they're our biggest fans because they're scared. And I will. Honestly, I will drop names like Taylor Swift. I am telling you. Wait, does she drop gonna, names? Is that a thing? I mean, like, I'll talk about people. Well, I guess she doesn't. But she like, alludes you know how, to, yeah. Right? Yeah, I will, yeah. I was an well, OG you know, Swifty like, back when she <laughs> recorded Dear John, and it's like, oh, which John are we talking about? I wonder. Like, I, I, the new shit, I can't. Not about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't keep up with her dating life. I'm like, I consider myself to be a major Swifty, but I'm like, I just love her music and who she is. Yeah, I do. I do. She, her records in the past like few years, I'm like, girl, what the fuck? Like, what is this? I want picture to burn. No, 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 no. I want the angsty pop country. Picture to burn is what she's saying when I saw her. Oh my God. I love that. Because he was just another picture to burn. Don't know who she was talking about. You didn't love folklore or evermore? I didn't really listen to what I did listen to it. I was like, this isn't Taylor. This isn't the Taylor oh, that I know. Honey. <laughs> so Taylor, you you cannot put Taylor in a box. You gotta let her fly. You gotta let her be folksy and have curly bangs and be in the woods and shit. Oh God, she said folklore was my most listened to album according to Spotify. Folklore and then reputation. If that doesn't speak to who I am as a person, those are my top two Taylors. <laughs> okay, as much as we want to make this a Taylor Swift stan podcast. <laughs> okay, let me let me circle back. What I was saying was, you know, 
Taylor's ex-boyfriends will be like, are you going to write about this? And she's like, yeah. <gasps> like, I will talk about whatever. Okay. Okay. I support, obviously I support it. I'm a freaking open book. You, I think the thing is. Should I tell them what happened today? What I found out? What did you, what did you find out? At this point, yes. About my, about, <laughs> yes. About my mother-in-law. She's not your mother-in-law anymore, honey. My ex-mother-in-law yeah. stumbled upon the podcast and listened to it, and it made her sad. So. She said it made her sad. I think that she's she may we may be leading her to the brink of um, like some sort of reinvention. That's what I'm telling myself. No, <laughs> no, we're not. I don't know. We probably aren't. Were we? So, um, I. I think I told you, I was like, I don't want to talk about dating apps as much as I do, but I just feel like, especially now that I'm fun employed, um, me like being on the apps and like whatever my interactions on them just maybe are taking more of a front and center position than they have before. Mm -hmm. Um, Got some time on your hands. A a couple minutes, (laughs) a couple minutes of time. (laughs) Um, So... I think I told you I met this guy that I was like super into. Um, he was from LA, which I'm not from LA, but I have family there, grew up going. Like I, I, I get it to a certain extent. Um, <laughs> as someone who's not lived there, I really was really interested, and like he seemed super cool. Like we were very much on the same wavelength. Tell me. <laughs> Well, we, I gave him my number and this like conversation actually like went off of the apps, which was, I'm I sorry. thought was huge. I'm sorry. Um, which, which app was it that you met him on? God damn it, Kelly. I met him on Raya, but then connected with him on Hinge as well. <laughs> I met him on Raya. <laughs> First of all, is my voice really that high? I've always been told I have a deep voice. I don't like this game. Sorry, this is the game you decided to play when you decided to make a podcast with me. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Okay, so so what happened with the guy you met on Raya? So we exchanged numbers. um, We were texting and I just felt like he was super cool down to earth, like very lighthearted stuff. Nothing like uncomfy or icky or he just seemed like a little, almost too good to be true, but like, he's human. So I I try not to put, Mm -hmm. you know, people in that category. Um, and, uh, he asked me one day, he had just like moved into a new place and I live downtown. Right. Mm -hmm. And basically, um, he was telling me that he lives kind of like a ways away. And I was like, okay, that's like, that's great. He was like, are you in this area? And I, it was a lighthearted conversation. So I said, Oh, like, no, I'm, I'm pretty far from it. Um, you know, whatever. And then nothing. And I was like, and I was telling, yeah, I was telling a friend about the conversation and she goes, (laughs) she goes, well, maybe he just like, wasn't interested in a long distance relationship (laughs) across town. town. I'm like, if you're from LA, you obviously understand that like, travel time can be excessive okay Mm -hmm. like you should it's fine he wanted wanted it right right now i know and i'm just like look 
I am the bougie bitch that's, you know, very, um, send me a car and not a, a dusty <laughs> ass. Oh my God. I have stories about send men me sending a me. Car. They're like, wow. I'm going to send you a car. It could be an Uber. It doesn't have to be a private car service. Okay. It's just like, that's such a, that's a nut. That's a level that I am not on. And maybe I should be. Do I need to like raise my standards? <laughs> I don't know because I don't know that I'm the best example because I typically fall in love with men that are younger than me that look at my lifestyle apparently. And they're like, oh shit, I can't afford her. Which I have a, a, I have a thing to say. <laughs> Everything to say. Things to say. <laughs> oh, we have struck a nerve. A little bit. Um, you you struck this nerve all on your on your. Own. I did. <laughs> I did, didn't I? It's like self inflicted nerve striking. Um, I recently heard um, on another podcast that like I'm a big fan of. Recently, like there was a guy that is a podcaster that was a guest on another podcast. And he was saying, when I'm interested in a girl before, you know, X, Y, Z, before I even like take her out, what I do is assuming she has an Instagram, I go to her Instagram and I look at her photos and that will tell me whether or not I can afford this girl's lifestyle. Oh, oh. oh that does not bode well for you, my friend. At all. But it also pisses me off because I'm like, like, in or social media is a farce. It's my favorite word. Yeah. Really. Um, I know. Yeah. Social media is misleading. Like, we're not, we can only be authentic to a certain extent. Like, I'm going to post travel photos. Okay. I'm going to post what is aesthetically pleasing. I'm going to post all these things that, are there a, it's a highlight reel and that's what gets me well it can be whatever you want it to be exactly it's your instagram like who cares and we've talked about this i enjoy pretty landscapes architecture blah 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 blah, blah. that's what you're going to see on my instagram is it reflective of me as a person to a certain extent but mostly no i am okay but i feel like you have every right to do that, but there are like consequences to that, right? Like, Maybe. I mean, apparently, thinking, I can't afford you. <laughs> it just sucks because I'm like, the only thing that I'm concerned about is whether or not I can afford myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I like that's all I'm concerned about. Like, if I'm if we're talking like an an early stage dating relationship. I don't know. I, I'm not going to like use this time to like vouch for myself and like, you know, make a case for looking beyond my social media. Like it's curated. It's a fucking Instagram feed. Yeah. Like, it's stupid to judge someone off of their so- social media. That's a bad rule of thumb. Well, okay. I will play devil's advocate to a certain extent here. I actually completely disagree with what I just said. <laughs> I judge everyone based on their social media, but I'm not saying that it's like fair or accurate. (laughs) But yeah, I would absolutely like write someone off because of their social media. I have, and I will do it again. (laughs) I don't, oh my God. I don't write people off, but it's like, 
I don't know. I, I am going to give myself the space to be so much more complex and in the best way than what someone is going to see on social media. Like, I think that's dwindling someone down to something that they're not and putting them in a box. And maybe I'm just defending myself in this moment by saying that, but I don't, yeah, that's like where I'm at. I'm yeah. I'm just sick of the perception versus reality situation. So anyway, what isn't displayed mm. on my social mm. media is the shit that I have been through my whole life. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, I've had a hard life. I've actually, in some instances, I feel like I've had a very cushy life. Um, in other instances, I feel like I have faced hardship that a lot of people won't. Yeah, um, I feel the same. Yeah, and so it's it's hard to find the balance in that, right? It's like people will look at your life and be like, you were given everything. Like it's giving silver platter. It's, give, it's giving, you know, silver spoon, what have you. But then it's like, no, no, no. Again, trauma is trauma. Like trauma is trauma and it is more pervasive than ever. And I think the hardest, I, I'm not going to say the hardest type of trauma. I think trauma is something that we are still even as a society starting to find the language to express certain things around trauma or make mm -hmm. sense of it even like as individuals. And so all that to say, I, I was going to say the hardest type of trauma is sexual trauma, but I feel like I can't say that without acknowledging other types. You know what I'm saying? But I understand personally, and I know you do, the woes of, of sexual trauma and what that looks like and how to grow from it, which is an ongoing process. The understanding that it doesn't look the same for everyone. The realization that it's something that maybe you didn't have control over. Or frankly, I, I don't think anybody that experiences sexual trauma really has the control that they should over it, you know? Yeah. That's kind of the definition of trauma is right. being in a situation where you're out of control. Right. Something is inflicted upon you that mm -hmm. you couldn't have, you know, swayed one way or the other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard. And I know that you and I have talked about briefly about your sexual trauma, but what, what does that look like? Like, I would love to be able to share. I mean, I know that I'm saying this on your behalf. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not trying to like get like air out all of <laughs> shit. Um, no, before we started recording, <laughs> y'all McKinley was like, okay, Kelly, how do you feel about but also, talking how do about you your do sexual trauma? And I was like, ready, let's go. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I talked to you You're a like, lot. Anyway, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I tell I us your story. So, yeah, I one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because I have this story that I like want to share with people, and I and I haven't known how to. Like, I've shared a lot of stuff about my mental health, like on Instagram. And this just doesn't feel like the right place for that. Or like, I don't know where to put this information. And so it's really cool to have this platform to get to like talk about what I've been through because the last few years have just been 
like insane for me. I love that you're pouring wine. Wait, like, how do you know? You I was no, trying to do an inconspicuous. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it. I know. I can hear it and I can see your arm rising, but you looked like you were trying to not. Okay, well, <laughs> I. It was very obvious. Maybe I shouldn't. Pour your wine. Dress then. What was so helpful for me when I was like in the like depths of dealing with my trauma was hearing other people's stories right. and other people's experiences and realizing I'm not alone. Like, I feel like when we're suffering and when we've gone through something traumatic, it's so easy to just like isolate and be like, I'm the only one in this horrible little world. And like, it's just not true. Like we're not alone. Um, and so, yeah, I want to like be one of those people for our listeners. Like I want to be someone that puts their story out there so that other people feel less alone. So that's kind of like my, really my heart, like behind wanting to do the podcast, not like specifically to talk about sexual assault, but just to give a place for like everything that I've been through, like to be able to talk about it. So I'm ready to talk. Yeah, I mean, I fucking love you for it. And I will always, you know, support, um, you know, the sharing of that story as much as you want to share it. Because I do, Mm -hmm. I know so many people, um, women especially, but people, you know, overall that have found themselves in this place of like being silenced after experiencing something, experiencing something that, um, has just completely rocked their world to simply put it. Um, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So as much and as you're willing to share, would love to hear all the things. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. In 2019, um, when I started doing yoga and I took a break from work and I joined the stay-at-home wives without kids group, (laughs) (laughs) that season of my life, like the six months before COVID, um, I I was like taking time off of work to focus on my mental health and I, I started going to yoga. It was purely because I wanted to lose weight. I was like really unhappy with how my body looked and was like, I got to work out. I ended up falling in love with yoga. Um, It also made me realize that I was so disconnected from my body. Like the word yoga means yoke, like between your mind and body. And you can't be dissociated when you're doing yoga. Like you have to be in your body. Wait. And it made me, yes. Is it it yoke like Y-O-K-E? I'm sorry. I'm thinking egg. Did I say this wrong? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I just like yoke as in like, um, like yoke together, like two ox. Like, like you should not be unequally yoked. Oh, mother of fucking God. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's what you're hearing, right? Ah! How did you know? (laughs) How did you know? So yoga means to join or to yoke or to unite. So it's like connecting the mind and the body. Yep. Okay. I had no idea how how much I was dissociating from my body until I started doing yoga regularly. 
And it made me realize that there was something wrong with my sex life. Like that the way I was experiencing sex was not normal. And, um, wait, talk so more anyways, about, can I ask you more? Like how, yeah. what, how, how, <laughs> sorry. I'm like, words are <laughs> difficult. How did, how did you find your, yourself associating like yoga with sex? I know you just explained it, but I, I, I want to, yeah. you know, understand more. So basically what yoga taught me was embodiment, which is okay. like, being in my body, like mm-hmm. being a body. I feel like that's what embodiment is, is like the experience of being a body. I was not experiencing being a body. I was a floating head, completely detached from my body. Mm-hmm. Like I was so dissociated. Um, and I did not know the extent of that until I started doing yoga because it was bringing me back into my body. So for example, with sex, a lot of times, like I was dissociating, like I was just like a floating head. Like I just wasn't really there. I just kind of checked out. Um, and I wasn't able to do that in the same way when I started practicing yoga. It's like I was in my body and I was experiencing what was happening in my body and what my body was remembering was a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Um, and yoga gave me like the connection to my body to be able to realize like, oh, something is wrong. Like I couldn't keep dissociating like I was before. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I ended up like seeking out a counselor and found um, Sonia, who's my angel. Um, Travis and I went and saw her because we were like, something is just like off here. Like, and I couldn't, I didn't really understand Travis, your ex-husband, Travis. Yes. Yes. But um, did you, I would love to know just like more and correct or stop me if I'm like getting ahead of myself. I'd love to know like how you maybe approached the conversation with him to like, you know, lead to, oh, let's this, this uh, warrants professional help. Yeah. Well, I guess I need to back like way um sex was not good for me like I never wanted to have sex I always felt like I had to it was like this very 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 confusing shameful thing for me Mm -hmm. about what sex was like um and but but we were always busy and had stuff going on and like there was just always excuses for like, oh, why our sex life wasn't great. But we got to this point in 2019 where I wasn't working. He had just gotten a great job promotion. We had our dogs. Life was good. We enjoyed each other. And we weren't having good sex. We were like, it was like, we don't have kids. We have all this free time. We have money. Yeah. Like, I mean, not a lot, but like, It was like life had slowed down enough for us to both realize like this isn't normal. And it was the like getting into yoga and like that made sex worse. So it was at that point that I was like really focusing on my mental health. And I was like, I think I need to like talk with someone about why sex is so hard for me. Like it was something that was so deeply shameful 
Mm-hmm. Um, like I had never talked with any anyone really about my sex life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to a point where I was like really trying to deal with my mental health. And this was this huge barrier that I like couldn't ignore anymore. Yeah. Like, and it was becoming more of a problem. Was it so, something that like, did y'all have sex before you got married? Okay. So this is where I need to like back way up. Okay. 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 Um, yeah. So, um, no, we did not have sex before we got married. And I regret it so much. Like, there's a spicy take. Right. You what? know what I have to say about that is like, so I, <laughs> hear, hear me out, bear with me. My car, I ordered um, <laughs> online from a very, like, well-known <laughs> online, like, car dealership, basically, or dealer. Mm-hmm. And... Even when they delivered my car, I was able to test drive it before I signed the paperwork saying, this is mine. Yeah. I take over the title. I take over like the payments, all of it. Um, and the mindset around like us being, you know, in the church and like saving yourself for marriage. It's like saving what? I'm sorry. Uh, not, no. Sorry. I need to check myself because if that's... <laughs> If that's a decision that you make, that's great. It's very, very complicated. Yeah. It's it's, very nuanced. And I think that the thing that I'm so frustrated with is that the church, in my experience, or, you know, the experiences that I've seen even my closest friends have, is that they try to make it black and white. They try to make it as like, you either do this or you do that. And it's like, okay, it's just, it's so, it's so convoluted. But all of that to say, um, it's wild to me that like someone wouldn't like, you know, now it is. I tried to not have sex before I got married, but here we are. Okay. Yeah. No. And the reason that I regret it is because. Regret not having sex. Well, yes. If, if Travis and I had had sex before we got married, um, I think a lot of things it just would have been so different because here's what happened when I was younger, when I was 13, I was sexually assaulted by an older high school boy. Um, and I never dealt with it. Like I just completely swept it under the rug. I was so ashamed. I thought I had done something Mm -hmm. wrong. I never talked with anyone about it. I never dealt with it. And then I instantly, I immediately got into purity culture. And I remember, you know, I was in eighth grade when this happened. Our most formative, some of our most formative years. Yeah. 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 And I remember going to like, like a girl's like night where we were like going to talk about sex or whatever. I remember thinking, oh my God, like, I can't believe I've already like participated in this, not having any like nuance around consent. Like I just felt like, it was like, you're not supposed to engage mm-hmm. in this. Like, no one is supposed to touch you. You're not supposed to have sex. And if you do, like, you're sinful and you're broken and, like, you need Jesus. And I was like, I need Jesus. Like, I'm so broken and dirty and gross. Mm-hmm. Like, um. so anyways, I got really involved in youth group. I was, like, really committed, like, in high school and very much trying to strive towards being pure and, like, purity culture. Like I broke up with my high school boyfriend because we were like 
engaging in sexual activity. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I have to choose like Jesus over you. Wait, but I bet you're, was he like really hot though? He's pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah. God, I just think like the idea of like high school boyfriend, I'm like, fuck. I know. All my high school boyfriends were hot. I had like literally, Kelly, I had like five. <laughs> you're only in high school for four years. That's not too Actually, bad. I think I'm lying. I think I'm lying right now because I'm ashamed. I think I had about seven. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but so I was just like really deep into purity culture. And when Travis and I met, like it was really important to both of us to not have sex until we got married. Yeah. And like we struggled with that. Like it was really hard not to. Like we really wanted to. And looking back on it, I wish that we had just had We've sex when I Travis. wanted to. Yeah. Yes, he's, he's adorable. He's, he looks like me. He's We're so slice. cute. We're so uh, cute. You guys, oh, well, everyone stop. No. He doesn't you look like you. You just said that. Res- <laughs> y'all, no. I said that y'all resemble one another because you have fair skin and dark hair. Okay. You said you look like each other. You. I said you look like you could be brother and sister. That's what I said. <laughs> Anyways looking back on it like we like really wanted to have sex mm-hmm. but we were like no we can if we ever like struggled with it there was all this shame around it we had to like confess it to our people and it was just like so dramatic right. um and looking back i wish that we had had sex when we wanted to have sex mm-hmm. because ultimately what ended up happening is that we were scheduled a time to have sex the night of our wedding yep. and it did not feel natural to me. I was terrified. It was not a good experience at all. And what happened was I was reliving the trauma that I experienced at 13. Right, right. Because I had never dealt with it. Like my body, like I'm sure like the book, The Body Keeps the Score mm. is like the mental health Bible. Like everyone yep. should highly that. recommend. Yeah. You're a human that's experienced trauma or know someone that's experienced trauma, which is literally everyone, please read the body. Honestly, shit. If you're a human at all, I would recommend the read. So essentially like to summarize what happened, I was like a lot of my sexual relationship with Travis was like reliving my own trauma, but keeping it inside and not really telling him because I felt like, there was something wrong with me. So it's like, so it's so complicated to look back on it. Cause it's like, yeah, it's just, it's like, right. he didn't do anything wrong. He right. didn't know what was going on. Like we were both like, it's not like Travis did nothing wrong in the situation. It was like, I did not have the language to explain what was happening in my body. And so I just like shut it down right. and disconnected for like yeah, all of my twenties. <laughs> And then I went to yoga and like did some hip openers and was like, what is happening Look, here? Look, those hip openers are always impactful for me. My hips have always been locked, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's kind of like the big picture story. And so to circle back to what I was talking about at the beginning. So in 2019, I was going to yoga. Travis and I were like, hey, something is really off with our sex life. Like, let's go talk to someone about this. 
So we find Sonia. She's a certified sex therapist. And she was like 45 minutes away from where we lived and only had like a Saturday morning at 8 a.m. appointment available. And we were like, we'll take it. And so Jesus, you know how I feel about mornings. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So every Saturday morning, Travis and I would drive all the way out there and see her. Um, and our very first session, she asked us, like, so like what is your like sexual history briefly? And you know, we went over our very short sexual histories. Oh, it was very short. Wait, yeah. how many yeah. people had you yeah. slept with at that point? I had not slept with anyone. I had like fooled around with my ex-boyfriend, yeah. but I had never slept with anyone before Travis. So like sexual intercourse, mm-hmm. just one person. Yep. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And same for him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so where was I going I think that's that? like endearing. I don't know. I got distracted yeah. because I think that's like very endearing. Well, it's part of what makes me so angry though about our situation is it's like the fact that we were both like virgins and didn't know what we were doing and didn't have experience contributed to me having to suffer so much. Like if I had had mm. normal sex with people before, like I would have known like, hey, this is or like I would have already experienced that like re-traumatizing that I felt in my body. Mm. But it was like mm-hmm. I never mm-hmm. got the experience to do that until my wedding night, you know. Right. Right. Which That's like intense. Okay. Can I just like stop you really fast? Cause there's so yes, much there's so much to unpack. I know I could go in like 50 different directions. Same. And like, we're talking your story and that's just what's crazy to me. Like I could, I could even do the same for you. And like, I feel like what's insane is if I'm thinking about my own story, I had my sexual debut. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty idyllic, you know, and that's unfucking heard of. You know, and like, mm-hmm. though I had experienced assault before, which I think there is a uh, very, there can be a very distinct difference between assault and I had experienced assault before, not, and that kind of like, I think probably changed the trajectory of something, whether it was my thinking around sex or what have you. But I had my sexual debut, quote unquote, lost my virginity um, when I was 17, rooftop in Rome. Like, oh my God. It's like kind of like bullshit. What a flex. No, it's not. (laughs) No, stop. I'm not. That really is like kind of beautiful. No, it's. Was it good? No. God, no. It was both. (laughs) Okay. It was both of our first times. um, And yeah. It was, I think that the excitement of it all came from, it was like a forbidden fruit situation. Like we were on a student trip and mm-hmm. we had literally signed, you know, um, waivers to not like engage in debauchery basically. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure debauchery is like my second middle name. So all of that to say, mm-hmm. um, 
what is is crazy to me is like thinking about how we think of sex as teenagers like 15 year olds in your case fuck a 13 year old child Mm -hmm. and then like how we kind of have like grown to shape our view and our mindset around sex now like it's super interesting um yeah Mm -hmm. well I was gonna say I started saying this earlier when Travis and I went and saw Sonia for the first time and she asked about Mm -hmm. like our sexual history like I was like you know this blah 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 oh and also like when I was like 13 this happened and so you yeah. had diminished it almost like brushed it under the rug yeah almost it's, didn't even bring it up was the thought ever like this happens to everybody it's not yeah. worth bringing up yeah yeah so anyways she looked at me I'll never forget this Travis said he'll never forget this she looked at me and said hmm. so you were sexually assaulted and I just looked hmm. at her blankly like I had never it's like someone was being told like someone was telling me hey babe that was a sexual assault that's why you're here right now right like this is what you experienced yeah like that's what's going on what year was this remind me 2020 January of 2020 (laughs) (sighs) the fun year (laughs) yeah so like I didn't even know And, and like it took me a long time to really accept that like what happened wasn't my fault and like I I wrote about it a lot like I wrote a lot of poetry about what happened to me um and it's it was when I started reading the body keeps the score that everything kind of like started to make sense for me and I was like oh I do have PTSD I Mm. was assaulted like it took me a long time to really accept that and I think that's very 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 common with victims of sexual assault to minimize what they've been through um and it's oh not my god yeah yeah like looking back at it now I was like I was a child like I was a child but I was between seventh and eighth grade mm-hmm. I had I was like developing boobs before most people. I was wanting to wear like cute clothes. I was like feeling myself. Right. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I felt like I did something wrong. Like I like put out the wrong message or something like that. But in reality, I was a child pretending to be older. You know what I mean? Right. That's what you do when you're in puberty. Exactly. But is that also not the narrative that we see so often from the church of like, okay, well, um, you know, you need to like operate in this like box or these like within these walls of modesty, but you're looking at, you know, the rest of the world that they're just being teenagers, right? Like, yeah, that was like a guy's that I personally was like partly raised under, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I would be wearing the same, I mean, I've always had an ass and thighs. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> so I just remember like dressing like, you know, these girls in these like teeny bopper music videos or the girls at school or like 
whatever we saw on VH1 or MTV or whatever to go like bowling with my friends. But then you realize like, oh shit, it's going to be demonized because we're women. Mm -hmm. And then the whole modesty, purity culture bullshit kind of comes into play. Right? Like, oh my God, I, I feel like I cannot say this enough. The level of convolution, if that's a word it is today, that we faced as young girls living in the world where we're supposed to adhere to trends and fashion and what have you adhere to, you know, what we think is right. We dealt with some shit in the aughts. Like it was a mess. And I know that like every generation Mm -hmm. was a mess to some extent, but I think like the combination of diet culture and purity culture and the internet, just like, ah, I know. Like we were the generation that like like, a tidal wave, right? We were like Guinea pigs, right? Like we had dial up, but then we had the internet that came after that and the accessibility Mm -hmm. to it all. And like, you know, it was like that half of it, but then also we were consuming content from like magazines, mm-hmm. all the magazine subscriptions I had. I'm like, sorry, mom and dad, Jesus for like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I loved them. Right. Right. Tell me more about like how you've gotten to the point that you're at today, having yeah been a victim, if that you feel like that's an appropriate word to use, um, of sexual assault and this trauma that you most recently said, obviously, yes, was inflicted on you initially, like in the act, but then in hindsight um, was Mm -hmm. almost like, you were like, oh, you were told, like, this is what happened to you. And this is like how we define it. I think there's something to be said Oh my gosh. I, I feel like I talk about the importance of language all the time because I, Mm. I just, I'm a deeply like sensitive, deeply feeling person. And for most of my life, Mm -hmm. I feel like I did not have the language to explain that. I thought that everyone was experiencing life the same way that I was. Yeah, we all did. I found the Enneagram, (laughs) the Enneagram. When I read about an Enneagram four, I was like, this isn't everyone. Like I literally thought that everyone was experiencing the world the way an Enneagram 4 experiences the world. <laughs> if you don't know any about the anything about the Enneagram, you do not want everyone to experience the world the way an Enneagram 4 experiences the world. It is very heavy. Yes, I would argue you don't want every human being on the earth to experience the world the same way one sect of humans does. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That would, I feel like, would be super counterintuitive for the reason that humans are on the earth anyway, which may be because aliens put us here, as we've recently noticed within the news. I'm like, womp, womp. But also, honey, when I say, I have been shaking my ass in my backyard for those aliens, (laughs) honey. Whenever I see like a little helicopter across the sky, I'm like, look, if that's the aliens, just take me. All right. Do you feel phased by the aliens at all? No. Because I, well, here, you know, I was always an X-Files fan. I've always believed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I've named my classic Mustang after Dana Scully. Yes. Love her forever. Um, 
I'm going to apologize watch the in advance. Okay. Dana Scully's from the X-Files? Yes. Okay. Um, she's played by Gillian Anderson. Super precious um, redhead. She's like the typical like 90s Bob mm-hmm. before it was like a true, you know what? I, yeah. Um, but no, like I, extraterrestrial life has never been a question in my mind. You know what's hilarious? You talked earlier, and I know you've talked about this mm. before about being diagnosed with ADHD. I, my current theory is that I have ADHD. No doctor has confirmed this, but that is my current theory. And I feel like this podcast is really reflective of our little neurodivergent brains. Just like bouncing all around. (laughs) We're just like having like a long conversation about trauma and sexual assault and aliens. (laughs) (laughs) So I just feel like this is the most ADHD podcast. Trauma, sexual assault, and aliens. That's probably going to be the name of this episode. Yeah. That is fucking hilarious, mm-hmm. Kelly. I know. We're hilarious. I did kind of leave out like a big part of this story. Though. Okay, say more. Share. Of my yeah. story. So, because I didn't just go from like I was assaulted to like purity culture to marriage, like something else happened in there. So um, when I was, so I actually had like, now that I look back on it, I think like a pretty like healthy sex life with my ex-boyfriend I and mean, we weren't like having sex, but like we were like the sexual dynamic, sex, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. 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 Like there, it was, it was good. It was bueno. Um, Not bueno. Looking back on it. <laughs> So something else happened in there, um, in my story. So, um, when I was in college, I was like really thriving. Um, and Travis and I had like, we met our freshman year of college and we started dating beginning of our sophomore year of college. And like, it was really great. Like just a very healthy dating relationship. We hadn't said, I love you. We hadn't had sex. Like we were just dating and loving it. Um, and then the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college, I went and worked at a summer camp, um, in Arkansas. And that is where my whole world like flipped upside down. So when I left for that summer camp, Travis and I were dating, we hadn't said, I love you. Like things were going really well. And I worked there for eight weeks. Um, and I was working with middle school girls. There was a lot about the summer camp that reminded me of my assault, um, like of like feeling mm-hmm. trapped, like I couldn't leave. Even the environment was kind of similar, like being in the woods. And now that I've like gone back and like had years of therapy, piecing all of these puzzles mm-hmm. together, I realized that that was where my PTSD started was when I was working at this mm-hmm. camp. And there were 13-year-old girls there. And I was in an environment where I felt trapped and I didn't like being there. And it, my body all of a sudden like connected everything and was like, we're back in the woods. Like it's happening. And I remember I was there for four weeks and my parents came up to visit me and took me out to dinner. And McKinley, like I 
like sobbed like a child in a in a crowded restaurant and was like please take me home I was 20 years old I was like I hate Mm -hmm. it here I hate it here they were so confused about Mm -hmm. what was going Mm -hmm. on like um but looking back on it it's like my body was experiencing like the trauma of my assault and I didn't know how to explain it I don't I completely blocked out like the last half of my time there. Like I have no memories of the last four weeks that I worked at that camp or the rest of that summer really. Um, but it was right after I got back from the camp that Travis and I decided to get married. Like I was like so desperate for safety and security. And he like represented that. So we got back or I got back and I was in this hyper traumatized state and I was like oh my gosh Travis like and I just clung to Mm -hmm. him and was like felt this urgency to get married and like we we were married the next summer um and it's like looking back on it now it's like what happened at that camp like I wish that I could go back and just see like how me and Travis's relationship would have naturally progressed if Mm -hmm. that experience hadn't happened I think that was a huge reason why I wanted to get married so quickly was I was like, he is, I don't feel safe. And he like represents safety in this like really like deep way. But it's like, it was all interrupted Mm -hmm. by this event that happened. And when I was in therapy, I felt like I was putting together a puzzle. I had all of these pieces and I'm like, cause at first we were like, yeah. Like, I couldn't understand why I was struggling so much to have, like, good sex with Travis. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, I love him. Yeah. Like, we, like, you you know, we, we were taught, like, when this unity, like, happens, there's love there. That's, that's what's yeah. good. That's what's going to cultivate a good sex life. And it's going to be. Just like that, there's no work that has to be put into whatever. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, and it's like after when I got back from that camp, that's when we started having a lot of like shame around anything sexual. I just was so deeply depressed when I came back from that camp, and um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, anyways, that was like the beginning of my struggle with with PTSD and. My whole like journey of like healing has been about me and my body, reconnecting to my body, feeling like, like grieving what my body has been through, being a body, being in my body. It's like, I don't know if I, right. I was so dissociated for so long that like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to not just feel like a floating head. Like it's so much easier to not be in my body. There's a lot of trauma that's happened here and it's easier to just float away but the reality is is that life happens in the body like this is where it's happening and if i'm not in it i'm not experiencing life understatement but like the good and the bad all of it if you cut off the bad you also cut off the good yes but that's just it i think because i would argue that humans um, innately are risk averse to a pretty like far extent, right? So it's like, 
if we're risk averse and we recognize, you know, the good and the bad that's being represented in our body and that, you know, what's manifesting from our body or what we're feeling or what have you, it's, it's like, how, how could we look at the good and the bad and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to accept the bad, you know, like it's in my mind, I see things as black and white. And I think, you know, all of what we have said, there's still this underlying concern, if you will, that sex is not okay, or it's not like, like we, it's not good. Yeah. So like what you and I have talked about this, um, we, when it comes to sexuality, like you and I, I I would say are on opposite, maybe sides of like (laughs) the middle. (laughs) No, I mean, true. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. I, I don't want to be there, but yes, it's true. No, I know. I know. Um, but what's super interesting is like, I feel like I am very hypersexual. I'm in, in that I have finally found comfort in my sexuality and the implications of that. I found comfort mm. in all of it. But there mm. is still this um, hesitance when it comes to sexuality. Like, I am not going to waver when it comes to my standards or like what I want for myself sexually. I refuse to waver. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we should continue on like talking about this conversation. 100%. I feel like we have just kind of tapped into the surface. Yep. And let's keep going. Yeah, so, 100%. Wait, what was the phrase we used earlier? Sex, trauma, aliens. Or like, <laughs> no, it was trauma, assault, alien. I don't know. <laughs> David Duchovny. Okay, that's what it was. David Duchovny. <laughs> also, David Duchovny, if ever you listen to this, know that I love you. <laughs> bit of who I am. Anyway, come visit us next week. Bye guys.